Hello and welcome back to An Alien's Guide to Rowing Well Part 2 uh, run by Broken Oars Podcast featuring largely the northern one. The southern one isn't joining us because if he did he'd just contradict everything that I said and he'd do that because he's southern, well-educated, posh and a natural stroke cider. As a bow cider I know how to move a boat and it's not with a stroke cider in it. Just kidding all stroke ciders, we need you sometimes. As you can see today though, I have been joined, if you're watching on YouTube, by Tintin's hair. Our intrepid reporter will be giving it back at some point. Now, last time out we talked about some of the ideas behind moving a boat and rowing well. And I already preempted you by going, what do you know about rowing well, Aaron? You were carried down the river by mighty men like Matthew Bucknell and Ben Charles and Ali Chapman and Mark Hancock and Lewin Hines and Justin Woolley and all of those sort of people. Well, that's probably very true. So there we go. I put the last episode out and within about 20 minutes of it coming out, someone messaged me on our Twitter feed and said, I've listened to the first bit and it's very good, but you haven't talked yet about the use of the weight. It's coming. I promise that it's coming. And on that note, I found out that certain people at Tyne United Rowing Club, which is the finest rowing club in the Northeast, uh, except no substitutes, have started listening to the podcast. I believe this is because it is the known sovereign cure for insomnia on those long, cold, lonely nights in the North when you just can't get to sleep. So I'd like to thank Graham for coming up to me this weekend and going, uh, I've been listening to your 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 podcast on, on how to row a boat and you know a lot of technical stuff Aaron and I, I, I didn't know what to say I was slightly embarrassed until he then added so why is it that you do none of it in the boat with us so I'd just like to thank Graham for that little vote of confidence and I'd like to thank the coach who got in touch and said stop saying coaches don't tell you this when I was talking about the fact that working on technique can pay bigger dividends than just simply trying to move the boat by upping the fitness work the coach in question, and no, it was not Dan Armstrong, but the coach in question said, we don't tell them that. We know that technical work will help improve the boat, but if we don't tell them to do their mileage, then they won't. If they think it's all technique, then they won't do the miles that they need to be fit and fast and all of those things. Last time we talked about the ideas behind rowing a blade, behind rowing as an unbroken sequence of movements. We talked about the seat position and how important it is, especially if you pay attention to your boat setup. Um, also about the need for good posture. We talked about what we do with our hands and we do jazz hands like this whenever we possibly can in a boat. And we also talked about playing the piano. We talked about the idea of the center line and controlling the sack of potatoes and bringing balance into our lives because balance is a wonderful thing to have. We talked about pressing out against the pin at all times, what Pete Holmes called lateral pressure. Uh, we talked about the swing, we talked about the sequence from tapping down, hands away, hinging from the hips, controlling the slide forward, letting the knees break naturally once the, the arms and the body set is in position so that we're not rocketing into front stops and racing back as well. So we talked about the slide, we talked about controlling our compression, we also talked about how much length is good length, which we're going to get onto a little bit more on this, but I pointed out that the idea that length is good, therefore more length equals better is not necessarily the way to go with it. 
We talked about level shoulders. We talked about relaxing the shoulders, relaxing the arms. We talked about retarding the inside arm. We talked a lot, didn't we? And this week, we're going to finish it off so that we can all become the sort of rowers that I wish that I really was deep down in my heart. So, the next thing on my list is to talk about the stretcher or the foot plate. It's that thing that you fiddle about with and you move around and you don't really know what it does, but you move it back and forward and it kind of looks about right and all the rest of it. The stretcher conceptually, and I like to talk in terms of conceptually and in terms of feel, because I think that even though we're talking about technique and we're talking about physical things and physical forces, rowing is a feel sport. And once you felt a boat moving well, and obviously any boat with me in it has never moved particularly well, but I'm sure that you have all felt it. Once you felt it, what you're looking to do is replicate that feeling. So why is the stretcher vitally important? Think of the stretcher like this. Imagine that you're about to jump into the air and score the winning basket in the World Series of the NBA. Actually, on a sidebar, Americans, what is it with calling um, you know, the World Series of Baseball, the, the World Series of Basketball, the World Series of Alabama Frog Racing, the world champions in American football, when the only people who play it are Americans. Like, you never see a Bangladeshi team in the NBA. You, you never see a Scottish team playing American football. You know, it's a little bit like having a World Championships in Rollins Gill, where I live. You know, I'm the world champion of Rollins Gill. Uh, I don't know. Um, getting the last custard tarts in Tesco. The stretcher is the ground that you will spring on, spring from, to score the winning hoop in the World Series of Rollins Gill basketball base net football or whatever we're doing. So imagine you're bending down to jump up in the air like a head, shoulders, knees and toes jump when you were a kid. You're balancing and gathering yourself so that you can drive all of your weight back off the stretcher and against the pin. So when I'm talking about being controlled into the slide, there's a constant, you keep a constant pressure on the foot plate. You don't crash into, foot, into the foot plate and send the boat back down the river the way that it's just come. The constant pressure is so you're controlling your slide coming forward, you're compressing down, and then once you take your catch, you're going to drive back. And I told you we would mention the weight, we are coming to that, but you're driving back against the pin. And the stretcher is the thing that you use to do that. The idea that Pete Holmes used to talk about and Spracklin and Fairburn and the old masters about getting on your feet isn't necessarily easy to understand because your, your weight feels like it's firmly on your seat. You know, your sack of potatoes is sitting on the seat and it's going up and down the slide. But if you think about this idea of, of not just getting on your feet but staying on your feet, so you have a constant contact with the foot plate, you're coming forward and then you're gathering down to jump back, to drive back, to drive the body weight back and drive against the pin. That's why the foot plate's important. If you have not had a chat with your boatman about foot plates and boat setups, do it. Get them in a corner and if it's someone like Duncan at Tyne who is a, a wonderful chap, you will have your ear talked off but you will learn an awful lot about boats. Some boats are set up for unison at the back end, some, some boats are set up off the front end, but the foot plate and where it is is vital for setting up the arc of the stroke, the efficient arc of the stroke. Just moving your foot plate back and forward because you're short or you're tall or you're whatever is not the way to do it. 
have to work within the efficient arc of the way the boat has been set up. If your footplate is too steep, you can't get onto your feet. If it's too shallow, you can't get the compression that you need. It has to be set right. Talk to your boatman and also just talk to your boatman. They're wonderful people. They're human beings just like the rest of us. They deserve love. They deserve respect. They deserve our time and attention. They'll probably burst into tears when you do talk to them, but they'll really, really appreciate it. Squaring as we come down onto the footplate. You're carrying your feathered hands clear of the water. You shouldn't be striking down so far that you're upsetting the balance. You shouldn't be letting it drag on the water. And I said in the last episode that one of my biggest bugbears is you've just put a huge amount of effort in, into a stroke and you tap down or someone in front of you or behind you taps down as you're coming forward on the recovery and it just scrubs off all of the speed that you've just invested. Be aware of your awe. I talked in the first episode of this about getting used to the balance, where it balances on, on the gate. If it's nicely balanced, it's really easy to just swing forward and glide forward with it, rotate round to the square and drop it in at the catch when you need to. If you do go down too far, what's called skying, as you come to the catch, your blade will be so far away that you will then chop in. So your blade will come in at an angle, it'll come down from the sky and chunk into the water. What you're looking to do is carry it about a fist width from the sax board for about two thirds of the recovery. And as you come into the last bits of the compression, your hands raise to the catch. So that by the time you take the catch, the blade is already squared and it's just about to go in the water anyway, naturally, okay? Dennis used to talk to us about picking a spot on the person in front of you's back, getting a good spatial sense of where, when my hands are here, where is the blade near the water? Basically, I would pick a spot on Ben's back, which was kind of just above his kidneys. As I come forward, my hands are a fist width above the sax board for two thirds of the recovery. As I come to the last third of the recovery, I begin to raise, my blade is squared and ready to go in. I begin to raise my hands to that point on Ben's back. And by the time I get there, the blade is in. So square the blade positively before the catch. Take it from stroke is usually a good thing. So when stroke squares, square with them and follow their rhythm. Try and square positively. Do it in good time because your hands, wrists and arms need to be ready for the next stroke. Okay, you need to be loose on the recovery, nice and loose, you know, almost lazy, not in a, in a lazy Sunday afternoon sense, but just loose and relaxed and flowing. The blade positively, if it's rough water, if you've got, a, you know, a strong wind coming across you and it might catch the blade and whip it up in the air, it makes sense to square later, but get in the habit of squaring early because it gives you time at the catch. The last thing you wanna be doing is getting to front stops and suddenly realizing you have to square your blade, race to the catch, take the catch, get the legs on. Take, take squaring out of the equation, do it in good time. The outside hand, we're talking sweep largely, is your strong hook. That is the thing that's gonna connect the blade in the water to the shoulder, the back and the legs, so it's going to be a strong linkage. Keep it securely on the handle. I sometimes see people with both of their thumbs on top like that. Get your thumb underneath. Firstly, because for your inside hand, it helps. And for your outside hand, when it comes on, it's a strong 
Think orangutan, think great ape, think monkey not falling out of a tree by hanging onto a branch. It's a strong position. Some people use their little fingers to give them their lateral pressure. You can just give it a little bit of lateral pressure just by keeping the tension on your hand a little bit, pushing out so that your collar and your gait are snugly together. Using the little finger is taking a finger off, it's weakening the grip. Imagine trying to do a clean and jerk with just kind of three fingers and a thumb. You want to use your whole hand. And I know that sounds really obvious, but this is, this is breaking everything right down so that by the time we build it all back up, what we're looking for is the feel of rowing well. And we're doing that by identifying various things within the technique. So now I'm going to talk about the float. And this might be a old-fashioned concept for those of you who've brought up, been brought up with GB orthodoxy or with different kind of schools of rowing. People will tell you if you hinge from the hips, the boat will run under you on the recovery. There's a sense that it feels like it does. Think of that as your float, if that helps you. So you're floating into the stroke. You're not lurching into the stroke, you're not collapsing in, you're not, you're not leaning over, you're not dipping in, you're floating in, you're relaxed, you're, you're sat on the center line, everything's engaged, you're nice and strong in the core, you're loose in the shoulders, you're completely aware of what the boat's doing, you're using your peripheral vision to look at the sax board and see where the set is, even as you're coming forward, oh, okay, we're gonna be slightly down here, I'll just, I'll drop the hands, I'll just help out. I'll raise the hands, we'll just, we'll work on the float. You can use your feet. Good exercise to do when you first go out is get everyone in the boat to sit at backstops, put your right foot down as hard as you can. The boat will go to the right. Same with the left foot, put the left foot down. You can sit the boat just by your feet. Don't have to start giving the, you know, the dance with the, with the head and shoulders and bum. You can sit the boat with your feet. So rock over, hands away, rock over, let the boat run under you, float forward to the catch. You're being poised, you're being balanced on the stretcher, keeping contact with the foot plate, so you can prepare to take the stroke. You're con you, it allows you being loose and relaxed and floating, allows you to control the blade. You're in a boat that's moving and you're riding along with it. Imagine riding a horse, okay? You're you're working with the boat. You're not fighting against it. You're working with what it wants to do. Oh, the catch. This is the one that I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for the vitriol, for the opprobrium, for people to say, we'll never listen to Broken Oars podcast again unless you get Andy Hodge back on, or Jack Beaumont, or any of those nice people who make you remotely bearable. There are a lot of different thoughts about the catch. Dennis taught us the GB standard rowing profile mixed with a lot of age crot, which was big outside arm, high averages, no mistakes, head up, airways clear, and don't come back if you don't win. That actually was something that Dennis used to say. The other three were Kevs. But the way to think of it is this. Your blade has to change direction, drop to touch and enter the water to its full and appropriate depth, and then drive horizontally at pressure in the blink of an eye. If you take any good rower from this era, from um, the noughties, from the 90s, from the 80s, if you slow down and you go through the catch of people like Redgrave or Andy Hodge or Matt Pinson or Kath Granger, 
and you actually count, there's 26 frames to the second in video, if you count the number of frames it takes for them to cover their blade, it's one or two. It's a fraction of a second. It's a learned response. The difference between a learned response and a stimulus response is a stimulus response is you see something and you respond to it. When you are proficient at catching and then the legs coming on, it happens so fast, studies have shown, that it can only be a learned response. So that you, your neurons and your muscles have learned the act of covering the blade and the legs coming on straight away. If you're GB orthodoxy, or if you're Dennis in the noughties, there was this idea that you place at the catch, it's a, it was a very long stroke, you place at the catch, and you build, 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 build all the way around. You're building pressure all the way around. And I know a lot of people still think like that. You know, hard, harder, hardest. Completely get where they come from with that. I've been in that school. I was also coached by Pete Holmes. And Pete Holmes was probably the first person who sat me down and explained boat physics to me. Uh, and to the rest of the squad, it wasn't just to me. He didn't go, right, you guys, go and do an erg. I'm going to talk boat physics with Jackson. It wasn't quite like that. Pete's idea was, when you are rowing, even at fairly low rates, the water is going past you so quickly that you don't have time to go hard, harder, hardest. You have to be in and on with maximum pressure as soon as the blade goes in the water maximum pressure against the pin you are exploding backwards you are driving backwards you're using your legs and your body weight to drive backwards against the pin because you don't you don't have time to fiddle around and feel for the grip and feel for where everything is and build it to a finish and then when you're when you're racing and you're you're sitting at you know, I don't know 38 in a 2k regatta or and you've been off the start line at 46 you don't have time to to build hard harder hardest You've got to be in, get your grip, and drive back because the blade is in the water for a split second. We talked in the first episode, boat speed comes from pressure against the pin. The greater the pressure, the higher the boat speed at the finish. How do we do that with a catch? When we've been lazy and loose and floating forward? Well, as you start to drive, as the blade hooks in, drive back, start to drive back as smoothly and fluently with as little splash as you possibly can. Okay? Bury the blade as fast as you can, but do it with light hands. You're not chopping wood, you're not dredging the bottom of the river. Good exercise, which we've all done, but is always worthwhile. Technical exercises are always worthwhile to remind us and remind our bodies and remind our senses and our conceptual understanding of what we're supposed to be doing. Sit at backstops, let go of the blade, the blade will float at the right height. Come forward to front stops, sit at front stops, let go of the blade, the blade will float at the right height. That's the amount that it needs to be covered. Arms and shoulders stay loose, even though you're springing back. Quickness, the speed of getting in and on, is the secret of gripping the water. Remember we talked about getting a grip? It's not brutal effort. You can put loads of effort in and you can bring the arms and shoulders in and the upper body in it to, to feel like you've got great connection, but actually it's the speed, it's the speed that you pick up, speed that your blade is picking up and gripping the water is the key to gripping it. 
So you can't begin the stroke really until you've gripped the water and until you grip the pressure that you've put on the stretcher is essentially slowing the boat. So the less distance you waste at the front end of the stroke getting a grip, the longer your stroke will be and the better will boat, the boat will run. So we're talking when we talk about quick catches, and I said, look, sit down with your crew and your coach and decide what the calls mean so you're all on the same page. You know, someone says spin the hands, someone says quick catches, someone says, you know, lateral pressure. Decide what it means. Don't play coaching mood music oh sit at the back oh let it run well what does that mean what do you want me to do do you just want me to sit and let it run till it runs out or you, you know define what you mean it's one of the keys to putting in place this the structures and the conceptual understandings that you want and you need to row well this is the thing placing and pushing at the catch feels controlled because you can put it in and because of the way that the water is running, you can feel the water, you can get a hold of it and you can hard, harder, hardest to the finish. So in one sense, it's easier, but in the sense of moving a boat well, it's not as good, I think. And I don't have the dynamic catch that I had at Agecroft thanks to Pete. I have stopped trying to attack the water as though I'm a Viking warrior and I'm trying to kill Grendel. But I, stu I do still believe in the brutality of the leg drive and the use of the weight get to in getting hold and driving back against the pin. The thing about the catch is there are a lot of exercises that you can do to work on this. The first one is, I would suggest, is something like coming forward, slap catches. Slap catch at three quarter, and then squaring and in, okay? I wouldn't recommend doing 18 kilometers of slap catches, which is something that I've done in the past, unless you want to really wet the person behind you, but that's teaching you to raise your hands to the catch. So that is a good one. Roll-ups, incredibly basic. Okay, so if they're incredibly basic and I ask you to do 10 perfect roll-ups in a row from backstops, how many can you do? How many could I do? The thing is that these things are incredibly basic, but if they're so basic and we can't do them well, that reflects more on us than it does upon rowing. Um, Russian catches is a really, really good one for getting the leg trigger sequenced. Okay, so a Russian catch would be you come forward, maybe if you're in a quad or you're in a four you're, or you're in an eight, in an eight, you might want to do it as pairs, which Pete Holmes did, um, so you can really feel the weight on the blade. So it's six sitting and one pair rowing. You might want to do it as four and four. You might want to do it as six rowing and two sitting, depending upon what stage of development you're at. Russian catches are where you come forward to front stops, you place the blade in, you're at full compression, shoulders level, you've checked all of your, your spatial awareness checkpoints that you need to know that you're in a good position to take the catch. And what you do is the blade goes in, you take the first three inches of the catch, first three inches of the catch, first three inches of the catch, full stroke. And then back again, first three inches of the catch, first three inches of the catch, first three inches of the catch, and then full stroke. And what it's teaching you is the sequence of hands, legs, hands, legs, hands, legs, and connecting the legs. So you're not opening the back, you're not taking the catch on the shoulders and the arms, you're staying in that position, your hands are staying loose, and it's all legs. And a good one to do with Russian catches is to start at um, 
three inches at the front then six inches and be really definite about this some people do it and they're at full slide when they're already doing three inches three inches six inches half slide three quarter slide full legs which still with the arms hanging out there and then the back and then bring the arms in and then do it again because it really helps to to groove in those pathways the harder that you you try at the catch to get the hook and drive together the slower and clumsier you might end up being because you're you're you're, you're trying to rush it you're trying to get in and get on and drive it that's that's fine another good tip another good exercise to do would be to forget what the hands are doing and just drive back just spring back your hands will lift instinctively to grip the water the catch is not a separate movement none of the movements I've talked about are separate discrete movements they all flow together by breaking them down like this what we are doing is we're looking at the individual units of the stroke that build up into what is a beautiful smooth flowing connected rowing stroke and the recovery and the drive are both parts of the stroke they're both the stroke so a good one for getting the idea of, of springing back. I've talked about Russian catches, um, which I think is a great one for getting the, 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 the triggers and the spatial awareness of what the catch actually feels like when everything's in the right place. Doing it as a pair in an eight when six people are sitting um, is quite hard work. Pete did it a lot when he first came to Agecroft and it was like doing power strokes without any of the fun of knowing that you had Henley on the horizon because it started in September, the Irwell was bleak, Manchester was bleak and life was not worth living. But we were on the water so it wasn't too bad. The six people sitting slow the boat to the point where you can actually feel the weight on the face of the blade as you drive back and you suddenly realize how hard Pete wants you to drive back and use the weight to lever the boat past the pin. So it's a conceptual as well as a physical exercise because when he, everyone, when he, when he went from two people to four people to six people and then to all eight, what he wanted you to do was to keep that weight on the face, that sense of weight and driving back. A good way to do that, to get that springing back, that springing hit kind of idea is, and this is one um, that Dennis used to do as well, is half slide rowing. Go out in, in your boat, whatever it is, whether it's a quad or a, or a, a four or an eight, and do half slide rowing. Dennis used to say half slide rowing is the most stable platform you will ever have in a boat and he is dead right because you're tapping it along nicely and the boat always sits better when it has a little bit of momentum he would then do up twos and it would be 10 up two 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 until suddenly you're tapping it along at 36 38 40 42 44 and you don't have time to think or worry about what's happening you just get in and on, in and on, in and on, and it, it speeds your hands up, it speeds the awareness of what you are doing, it speeds the, the, the grip and the connection that you get. The hands and body never stop moving, and I know that everyone's now going to go, nonsense, look at St Paul's, they sit at the back for three weeks after every stroke. We've already talked about this, chaps and chapesses, and the reality is that what 
needs to happen for a boat to move well is for everyone to do the same thing. So if you want to do pause rowing, great. If you want to make pause rowing a feature of your paddling and not a discrete exercise, entirely up to you. If I am in your boat for an outing and you've asked me to come along, I will follow whatever you do. That's fine. Personally, I like it as a discrete exercise. But the key is that everyone does the same thing at the same time, hence defining concepts and terms and coaching calls. Hands and body never stop moving. If you, and you can try this, try getting out to the catch and pausing before you take it, okay? What will happen is the blade will enter the water diagonally and rather than hooking in and gripping, you'll feel the jolt of it going in. When it's going well, you don't feel the blade go in the water. It's just in the right place and the legs come on. You don't even think about it. It's in the right place, feel the, and the legs come on. A good catch is like a punch or a thump, not the actual catch chunking into the water, but the, the movement once you've caught and the legs come on. Okay, you're picking the boat up with as little pause or check as possible. You're trying to keep the run going. Once you've built up the speed, you're just keeping it going. You're just keeping it moving along. And now we finally come to the leg drive. Legs are the foundation of rowing. And I know that I've talked at the, in one of the other bits about someone saying, you haven't talked about weight yet. I'm coming to weight, but legs, legs and weight are working together here. Why are legs the foundations of rowing? Your legs and your buttocks, or your bum, or your tushy, or your tuckus, or your sweet peaches, or whatever you want to call them, are the most explosive and trainable muscles that you have in your body. Okay? That's it. Are we done here? No. Okay, I'll explain why. So, the boat is heaviest at the catch, because it's slowing down as you come forward, and you're picking it up again and your legs are the things that are strong enough and fast enough and explosive enough to pick it up and move it. See a lot of people taking the catch on the arms, taking it on the shoulders, taking it in the back, opening the bodies to get the connection that they want. The legs are the thing. Keep the body in the right position, let the legs do the work, okay? You're using your legs to grip and drive the water. That's the thing. When I talk about the strong linkage between the, the handle the hand, the shoulder, the back, all of these things are strong because they're connected to the blade in the water through the gate against the pin, you've hooked into the water, you've leave it on, and if they're strong, they don't move, but when your legs move an inch, the blade moves an inch, okay? So use the legs to grip and drive the water. What happens is, you've already set your back in a good position off the back end, but as you drive the legs, the back will naturally brace to take the weight. You're not swinging back at this point, you're not bringing your weight in to heave through, that weakens the leg drive. You've got to maximize the leg drive. So keep the back braced and rigid. There's no give between the leg drive and your blade. It's all connected. An inch with the legs is an inch outside of the boat. You're not hauling the weight, you're not heaving it, you're not a stevedore. And with practice, that initial drive gets smoother and cleaner. Go back to Russian catchers connect the legs, go back to half slide rowing, up twos every 10 until you fall apart and then do it again and again and again and again and drill it in. And once the leg drive starts to come and once the leg drive is there and you've maximized it, we come to the weight. And you've been waiting for the weight. You use your weight, you use the body weight to move the boat. That's the thing. We talk about the legs, but it's, it's a whole body movement that moves the boat. On its own, the weight is useless. You need the momentum. 
So if you think about the idea, and British Rowing have got it all over their Instagram feed, and hey, I'd just like to say to the comms team at British Rowing, thanks for taking all of those ideas we gave you before the last Olympics and doing them as if they were their own, like the meet the team stuff. That's great. Should we send the invoice to head office? You need momentum. And as the GB team are currently saying, power is weight in motion. The faster it's moving, the better. The speed comes from your legs. So you hammer the legs down, you drive them as hard as you can. The back is braced, which it will do naturally for if you put it in a good position. And that drives your weight against the pin. And then as it drives through all the way through the stroke, your body starts to open naturally at the right point and you start to swing back. Why? Because that's how we lift the weight. That's how we're biologically engineered and biomechanically engineered. So the legs drive down, the body opens, the weight swings back, and it takes your full weight against the pin. As you're doing that, there are other considerations. One of them is blade depth. Blade depth is something we've talked about. Sit at the back, let go, the blade floats at the right point. Come forward, let go, the blade floats, blade blade floats at the right point. That is where you are going to, okay? So, now you've established that, that's where it sits all the way through the stroke. So as you're doing this explosive movement, you also have to train your draw so that the blade sits at the right movement. That's fine, you can do that. The blade goes too deep, you dredge the bottom of the river, the loom drags through the, oar, the water which slows the boat down, you tip the boat away from your rigger as a result, if the blade is bobbing up and down as you're coming through because you're bringing the shoulders in to try and maintain the connection, then you aren't keeping the pressure on and controlling the blade. Check the blade heights as you row. A good time to do this is always in your warm-up. If you're in a quad and you're warming up in pairs, if you're in an eight and you're warming up in fours or rolling sixes, the people, those people aren't sitting the boat for fun while you get your blood moving. This is a chance for you to look at things and fix them. What is my blade doing? When we take the catch, we have a little lurch to stroke side. What is causing that? Is it a centerline issue? Is someone taking a little look at their blade? Or is someone lurching in and dipping into the work? If so, let's find that and fix it. Because if someone's sitting the boat, it should not be moving. And calls from people who are rowing to people who are sitting the boat going, oh, sit the boat, sit the boat. It's all over the place. It's like we are sitting the boat. You're the ones who are moving it. And likewise, when it's my turn, then I go, sit the boat. Well, it's you with your stupid berserker Viking catch, Jackson. So use all of the outing to focus on these things. The draw through. I've talked about the importance of drawing through for the blade height in the water. As the boat accelerates, the legs have come on, the back is opening up and you're driving your weight through the pin and against the oar in the water. The arms naturally draw, once your body opens up, the arms naturally draw to continue the movement. Keep talking about rowing as a natural flowing movement. It is when everything is in sequence. But the power and the connection isn't coming from the arms, it's coming from the back muscles, okay? Your biceps are much smaller than your hamstrings and your quads, biceps and triceps. Don't try and snatch or jerk the blade through to your arms, okay? Your, the outside arm has more leverage, but you're drawing through evenly and you're keeping a strong core, you're keeping the shoulders level and you're engaging all of the muscles as the back opens up to draw through flat. Keep the shoulders square and keep the head above the center line as you come through.
the finish. Row the blade through as hard as you can. Okay, you're using the weight to accelerate the handle into the finish as much as you can. Leg drive explosive, back and body weight coming in to continue, arms and back drawing through. Okay, your finish is much more powerful if you swing back the body rather than just pulling through with your arms. Now I'm not talking about a Canadian in 2004 in the men's Coxless 4 final swing back. You don't have to be lying back on the lap of the person behind you. Okay, a movement to about one o'clock, driving back to one o'clock. Firstly, you're giving yourself room for your tap down and your extraction, but it's the natural place that your body will end up after you drive the legs and open and let the back open naturally. Okay, you don't want to be collapsing. You don't want to be sinking down and sagging. You want to be maintaining the idea that the small of your back is being pushed towards the belly button, but you're sitting back in a strong position with your head up. You're drawing the handle towards you. You're not crumpling forwards, getting over it. You're just keeping the blade buried all the way through and pulling through. So as we reach the finish, we haven't yet actually reached a finish. I know I said that this would be part one and the 